gracious God and Heavenly Father, let this message this morning be one that glorifies you, that is acceptable in your sight, that we are all drawn evermore in faith to Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are concluding our series, believe it or not, yes, we are concluding our series, God's Church for a Time Such as This. And we conclude this way, our God is a God of promises. When he gives his word, he keeps his word. And the question is, do you believe his word? Do you take him at his word? Do you stand on his promises? Because that's really the crux, isn't it? It isn't to say, I believe because, well, that's just how I was raised. Or I believe because it seems reasonable or just the right thing to do or socially acceptable. That's not the type of belief that we're talking about here. To say, I believe, is to put my full faith my full trust in his promises. To say I believe is, is to say I put my whole life on the line because I believe in what he has said. You see, to be God's church for a time such as this is not to just give intellectual assent to his word, to his promises, but to truly say we believe. That as a body, we not only wholeheartedly confess Christ as Lord and Savior, We believe in all of his promises. We believe. With our whole life, we believe. And so we have been working the last three weeks on 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and preparing our hearts in faith. It is really about humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face, and turning from our wicked ways For it says this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then we get to the promises. And the promises are, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So we are working on the promises of God this morning of really holding fast to his promises. And we're going to focus mostly on that God hears us. He promises to hear us, and there is much involved in when he hears us. And so our roadmap this morning is this, four main sections. God hears us. He hears our cry. Therefore, we are to ask anything according to his will in full faith and confidence. So let's begin with the first one, God hears us. Now I know that a couple of weeks ago we started this one. We started in on this promise that he does hear our prayers, but there's much more to delve into. Because really, if we were to be honest, most of us at some point would say, does God really hear us? And so we need to be assured again and again that God does hear us. 
that He cares for us. It says this in Second Chronicles, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Not I might hear. I might hear at some point, but I will hear from heaven. You see, God promises that everyone, anyone who repents of their sin, who earnestly seeks his face, he will hear them. But the converse is also true. If you're asking God to bless your sin, if you have contempt for God, there is no promise that he will hear you. So this is actually pointed out in Second Chronicles in the further aspect of the Scripture. But you can also go to the New Testament. A man who was healed of blindness, he testified to this in John chapter 9, verse 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. So that's why we've really worked so hard on humble, pray, seek His face, turn from our wicked ways, because there's the promise. But the promise does not extend for those who have contempt for God. How many of you remember Cool Hand Luke, the movie Cool Hand Luke, show of hands? All right. Popular film, right? And from that film, we get that famous phrase, what we have here is a failure to communicate. See, everybody knows that one, right? It's a good movie. So Paul Newman, during this movie, his, his character, Cool Hand Luke, near the very end, he's escaped from prison, and he's on the run. And he goes into this empty church at night, And he has this conversation with God. I want you to listen to some of the dialogue here. Cool Hand Luke says, Anybody here? Hey, old man, you home tonight? Can you spare a minute? It's about time we had a little talk. I know I'm a pretty evil fellow. Killed people in the war and got drunk. Chewed up municipal property and the like. I know I got no call to ask for much, but even so, you got to admit you ain't dealt me no cards in a long time. It's beginning to look like you got things fixed so I can't even win, win out. Inside, outside, all of them rules and regulations, bosses. You made me like I am. Now just where am I supposed to fit in? So he goes on a little bit, even gets on his knees and half-heartedly prays, but he doesn't really pray. And what you find in his speech, his monologue, is there's a true hardness of heart. And so he ends waiting for an answer from God. And there is no answer. Because there was no plea. There was no true cry to God. God doesn't hear prayers of contempt for those who relish their sin. But he does hear those who come before him or earnestly seek him. Psalm 66 says this, I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished my iniquity in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer 
or removed his steadfast love from me. Know this. You humble yourself. You pray. You earnestly seek his face. You turn from your wicked ways. God hears you for certain. And he hears your earnest cries. He does hear your cry. Now, if you've been a parent and had a child, when your child truly cries out in distress, your heart just about leaps out, right? Your stomach churns a bit. You would do anything. You would move heaven and earth to get to your child. Now, I'm talking about true cries for help. Every parent knows that there are fake cries for help, right? I watched, uh, there was a TV show last week. There was a great line, this this father's talking to his preteen daughter on the phone, and he says, I know, I'm not even in the room with you, and I can tell those are fake tears. Right? So it's not fake or false cries for help that the parent responds to, but when there's a true cry for help, you respond, don't you? You can't help but respond. In the same way, in the same manner, God hears your cries and he responds to you. From 2 Samuel, it says this, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. God hears your cries for mercy. There was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. We actually talked about him almost a year ago to the day. And there's an account of Bartimaeus in Mark, and it's in Mark chapter 10. It begins this way. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. See, Bartimaeus had nothing. He had no means. He was a beggar on the street. He didn't bargain with Jesus either. There was no quid pro quo. If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. He simply cried out for mercy, to have compassion upon him, to restore him, to heal his sight. You see, at the heart of God's mercy is his loving kindness, his steadfast love, Indeed, his forgiveness of sin. And so when he hears a cry for mercy, he answers. Is it an interesting that in most of the accounts, you find the people who cry out to, to Jesus, who cry out to God, are the ones who have nothing. They know they are bankrupt. They know they are beggars before him. And when a beggar cries out for mercy, God hears him. God hears you. 
And he says, come to me. Come to me. You see, because God hears you, therefore we are to ask anything according to his will. You are to ask anything according to his will. Let that resound in you. You are to ask anything according to his will. In James, or sorry, 1 John, it says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that we, if, we, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Notice it begins this way, in this and in this and, sorry, so excited. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Confidence is sureness or assurance. Confidence is is sureness or assurance. You could say it this way. We have the assurance that if we ask anything according to his will, that we will receive it. Now, the tricky part is, right, according to his will. Because we normally want to ask according to our will, not his will. We want things done in our way and in our timing, right? Yeah, we want that. And this is where faith, this is where trust, confidence in him really comes in. We need to trust his timing and his purpose. As it says in Romans chapter 8, For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, does this mean we have to somehow temper our confidence? We have to somehow lower our expectations when we ask things of him? And the answer is no. No, we are to come before him in full confidence, just as Bartimaeus cried out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. See, Bartimaeus knew that Jesus had the power, he had the ability, he had the mercy to forgive him, to heal him, to restore his sight. In the same manner, we are to ask according to his will, neither with timidity nor with a brash demand. We can't demand that God do something, but with full faith and trust in him who can do all things. Jesus himself said to his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This, by the way, is not a blanket promise that God will do anything that you desire He will do everything according to his name, according to his will. See, you can't pray for murder, adultery, stealing, gambling, gossip, or anything else, because that's not the nature of Jesus, is it? You can't pray for things that are against his will. See, to pray in his name is to pray for his very 
nature. So when you say the name of Jesus, you speak of holiness, of grace, truth, love, and purity. When you say his name, you speak of power and majesty and splendor. When you speak his name, you speak of him by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. When you speak of his name, you speak of submission to the Father, of sacrifice. When you speak of his name, you speak of the cross. And you speak of his death. And in his death, he paid the price for full forgiveness of sin. So when you speak his name, you speak the name of the Lord God Almighty. That's who Bartimaeus was crying out to. That is who we all cry out to. Jesus, the Lord God Almighty. And so when you ask in His name, you are asking in the very name of God and all that entails. And that's why you can ask in full faith and confidence. This is a difficult one for most people asking in full faith and confidence. Doubt often creeps in, doesn't it? It does. Doubt creeps in. And people who have both doubt and faith, it's a hard combination, isn't it? You're tossed back and forth, and you're never exactly sure where you're going to land. James said this, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave It's like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. My father was a man like this. Oh, in earthly standards, he was very stable. You know, six kids... Uh, he had to be stable. (laughs) He had to be stable. But he had a lot of doubts when it came to faith. You see, he was in the medical field. He was uh, trained, had a degree in microbiology, and for a good portion of his life, he was a bacteriologist in a hospital. So he had a scientific or analytical orientation to his mind. And he wanted to believe, but he wanted proof for everything at the same time. And it racked him back and forth and back and forth. And to the day, I don't know where he was when he died. He wanted to believe. That was for sure. He wanted to believe. Whether he actually believed, I don't know. I would say he had a doubtful hope. That makes sense? A doubtful hope. And there's a big difference between a doubtful hope and the assurance of faith. Doubtful hope wants to hedge the bet. Kind of have it, you know, like, I'll believe just in case. But this full assurance of faith says, I believe, period. It doesn't say, I understand everything. I myself don't understand everything. 
I believe. Take a look at our gospel reading from today. Also from Mark. It's found in uh, Matthew and Luke as well. It's just after the transfiguration, right? So it's just after the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John's with Jesus. They come down the mountain, and they find a crowd around a man and a boy. So we're going to pick it up on verse 16. The man said, the father said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now, you would think here, by the way, that Jesus would simply have mercy. He would have compassion and cast out the demon. But he rebukes everybody in earshot. He rebukes the crowd. And he answered them, verse 19, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Here we actually get a glimpse, by the way, into the annoyance, the pain, the indignation of Jesus with those around him. The O is like an exclamation. O faithless, and another account says twisted generation. O faithless and twisted generation. See, they aren't focused on God or the kingdom of God. They haven't set their sights on God and his kingdom. They haven't put their full faith and trust in him. And so they really come to Jesus as a last resort, don't they? And many people do that. They come to Jesus as a last resort because in our mind we have a very unbiblical statement which says God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. But in America, we certainly have that, right? Pull yourself up with your own bootstraps, that sort of thing. And then we work, we strain, we grunt, we groan. It's not working out. And then finally, we come to Jesus. But we're to come to him first, aren't we? We're to come to God first. Just as Jesus commanded bring him here to me, we are to bring everything, all our cares, all our worries, to Jesus first. Going on, I'm going to read, start verse 21 through 24. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father and the child, immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. This really was the cry of my father, whether he knew it or not. See, the father of that boy had both faith and doubt, if you can. It's a partial faith. It is a doubtful hope. And Jesus, I think, lovingly rebukes the father. And the man heard the rebuke 
and it struck him to the heart. And he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. So Jesus cast out the demon. The boy was healed. You see, I think there were actually two miracles that day. I think the miracle is that the boy was healed and the father had faith. You see, faith in itself is a miracle. What is faith? Faith is not only a belief in God's power, but it's also a heart after God's own heart. There's a pastor, Michael Wilkin. He put it this way. Faith submits my will to God's will. It asks of God's will and power and authority to move mountains so that his glory is revealed. He recounted a story that I like to tell to you, how this really came home to him. He says this, I saw this close up in, my, in the first pastorate that my wife and I served. The wife of one of our elders was gravely ill and hospitalized. The doctors gave her only days to live. Her husband called me one evening and asked if I would gather the other elders and come to pray for her. And that's what you're supposed to do. That's from our reading from James. To gather the elders to pray. He goes on, I was young and completely inexperienced pastor, but they looked to me to offer some hope. As we gathered in her hospital room, we prayed and anointed her. I went that home that night exhausted with the ordeal of her condition, but peaceful with the way in which we had placed her in God's hands. The next day, her husband called early in the morning with intense excitement in his voice. His wife was showing improvement. The doctors were amazed at her recovery, and within two to three weeks, she was released from the hospital. Although she was in her 70s and suffered repercussions from her illness, she went on to live four more years. It was a miraculous healing that profoundly affected the entire church. One of the other elders in the church also had a bedridden wife suffering from a severe spinal injury. She likewise asked us to come to pray over her. I was feeling as if a whole new ministry was opening up. As we gathered around her bed, we prayed the same prayers, used the same anointing, and had the same hope. But this woman was not healed. In fact, she got worse. He says, Did we have more faith when we prayed in the first incident than the second? No, I don't believe so. I believe that we acted out of the same primary motivation. We were seeking God's will for each woman. In the first case, it was God's will that she be healed. It wasn't God's will in the second. We were instruments by which God demonstrated his will. The second woman later declared to us that not being healed, listen to this, The second woman later declared to us that not being healed was the best thing that ever happened to her because she learned to rely on God in the middle of her suffering. God ministers to you in the middle of your suffering. 
This eventually led her to developing a ministry to others in like circumstances. I think he put it well. He said, it is not the amount of our faith that works miracles. It is the focus of our faith on Jesus who will work miracles through us according to his will. Do you believe that? That's the question, right? Not just an intellectual assent. Not just like, well, I grew up in the church, so I guess that's what we're supposed to believe. But do you believe that? You see, our God is a God of promises. And we believe that when he gives his word, he keeps his word, no matter what. And so that he hears us, he hears our cries, and therefore we are to come before him and ask anything according to his will, and we are to ask in full faith and confidence. Do you believe that? See, that's the question before us. God's church, for a time such as this, must stand on his promises in full faith and confidence. Can you this day say this for the first time or this day say this and be strengthened? I put my full faith, my full trust in his promises I put my whole life on the line because I believe in what he has said. I believe this. Do you? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.